So here's the million dollar question. How are people like us who don't settle for the status quo, who value freedom and a life without limits? How do we create extraordinary results in the key areas of life, yet skip the fear, stress, and anxiety that produces regret? This is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. I'm your host, Tom Herman, and welcome to the Attractively Different Podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Tom Herman, and welcome back to the Attractively Different Podcast. Hopefully, you're having an incredible day and that it's blessed. So about five years into my career in financial services, I was promoted to a manager position and basically walked into the equivalent of a corporate dumpster fire. Now, this isn't hyperbole. It was it was truly a dumpster fire. And when I say that, I looked up in the Merriam-Webster definition and it defines dumpster fire as an utterly calamitous or mismanaged situation, which this is exactly what it was. I walked in my very first day my first meeting with my boss got cut short because he was pulled out of the meeting and I never saw him again. <laughs> yes, he was fired. Imagine this. I'm He's behind his desk and I am sitting across from him in one of the two chairs that are positioned between his desk and the door. And during our meeting, he's talking about their how they operate, what they do, and how they handle things. And after a couple minutes, there was a knock at the door and someone peeked their head in and asked if he had a couple minutes and he walked out, closed the door behind him. And so I'm just sitting there kind of by myself. And then a couple minutes later, he poked his head back in and said, Hey, I'm going to need to reschedule. (laughs) And I'm still waiting for that meeting to be rescheduled. He was fired. And like I said, I never saw him again. Now, mind you that I was starting in a completely new business unit. So I didn't change companies, but I moved from one business unit to a business unit that I didn't really have much experience with, nor did I really know anyone. So my reputation, I was creating a new reputation and those who did know me or that I did know, it was basically just on a name, first name basis. I knew who I knew of them, but I didn't know anything about who they were or what they stood for. So I'm a brand new manager needing to learn a new skill set on how to lead a team. And on top of that, I'm needing to learn a new product. I'm needing to learn how this business works. So a lot of things for me to learn. And I was kind of this deer in the headlights (laughs) and walking and needing to learn all these things. And on top of that, this group is going through a crisis. I mean, there were three vice presidents when I started and two of them had been fired within my first week. And so it was a less than ideal situation, and yet it actually turned out to be one of the most rewarding two or three years in my career. And you know what helped me succeed in that role? Is that there was one manager, his name was Vince, who took me under his wing. And what was unique about Vince is that he had experience in the organization that I came from, and obviously had experience in the organization that I was going to. And he was just the type of person that genuinely wanted to see people succeed. And he obviously wanted the company to succeed. And he kind of became a pseudo mentor to me. He was a senior manager and he took time to invest in me and pass along knowledge and experience that he acquired over the years. He would help translate for me as I'm learning this new thing, like what was happening. And he would even kind of make predictions on what would happen next. And they came true. And it was just interesting how he really helped me navigate these uncertain times and provide a little bit more certainty to me. And the reason I share that story with you is because today I want to talk about legacy 
and how you have to think about legacy differently and how you have to think about multiple generations differently than what we do currently. And when you think about generations, what is a generation? Well, if you if you look at a picture of your family and you have your grandparents and your parents and then you and then if you have kids, you'd say, well, hey, there are four generations there. Grandparents are one generation, parents are another. Um, you being the child of your parents is one generation and then your children. So um, there'd be your great grandkids to your grandparents and obviously grandkids to your parents. Um, there'd be four generations there because it's this idea of just like one generation physically birthing another. And yet when you look at the Hebrew language and the word for generation, there's an insight there that actually tells you and gives you some insight into how God actually views a generation and how he set it up to succeed. And so you're probably wondering, well, what does the Hebrew language have to do with anything? Well, over the years, I've done a lot of personal study on the Hebrew language and Hebrew culture simply because I've had the perspective that, okay, if if this Bible was given, if the word of God was given to the Hebrews and Jesus was a Jew and I serve a Jewish king, then in order for me to understand him more and to understand what his word is telling me, I need to understand that culture, especially the culture that he gave, the culture of the people that he gave his word to originally to understand that concept. And so when you think about anything that God ever created, he created through his word. And so it's just fascinating to find the intricate detail of God's design within his own language, within his word. And one of those concepts, one of those insights is that generally when you have a word in English where there's no Hebrew equivalent, then the concepts aren't real or they're not connected to reality. So an example of this is the word fair. There is no word in the Hebrew language for the concept of fair. Now think about that. What is fair? Is it everyone has the same things? Everyone has the same opportunities? Or is it more fair to treat people based on what they've done or what they need personally, how they can respond to succeed? Like, like what is fair? How can you define it? And our culture today has this pursuit of fairness. And it's when you look at the Hebrew culture, Hebrew language, there's no concept for it. So it's not, it's not a concept that God built into the fabric of creation when he designed it. A few other examples are the word adolescent or coincidence. Um, so think about adolescent, what that English word means is it's like someone who's not really a child, but still kind of, but they're not really an adult, but they're kind of an adult. So they're kind of like in this between stage. And the fact that there's no word in the Hebrew language for adolescent is basically saying, no, you're either an adult or you're a child. And so if you're going to have the responsibility of being an adult, you need to have the consequence, consequences that come with being an adult. You're not going to get an excuse of saying, well, I'm still just a child, but I want to do adult things, um, you know, or coincidence. You know, God is all powerful. God knows exactly. He sees the beginning, middle and end. He knows exactly what's going to happen. So God says that he uses all things for good. So is there, is there such a thing as coincidence where in the English language we're thinking, oh, that, that just happened by chance. So all these are deceitful things that the enemy puts in our way for us to build concepts on, to build principles on where if we're navigating our life with these principles, they're not based in reality. Another example is the word retirement. It's There's no Hebrew word for the word retirement, which is just an indication that work should be part of our life until we until we until we die. So 
And coming from financial services background, it's like everything was built on this concept of save, 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 so that you can stop working and live off what you've saved. Well, in the book of Genesis, you know, thinking about um, in the garden, he says that man should do their work. And when you think about in, um, in Exodus, where Moses is asking Pharaoh for his people to go into go worship their God. That word for work and worship is actually the same Hebrew word, which when the same word has multiple meaning meanings, it shows that there's a connection. So when you think about our work is actually worship to God. So by ceasing work is potentially ceasing to worship him in a way. And so we can discuss these um, more in depth in a later episode, but my point is that within the Hebrew language itself, within the Hebrew culture, there are concepts and principles that got built into the fabric of creation that if we can harness those principles and live by those principles, then we're going to succeed because we're following the design which God had created it. But if we're living and building our life on principles that aren't based in reality, aren't based in the design that God created, then it's going to lead, it's not going to lead to success. It's going to deter us into a different path. So that's just some context on why Hebrew language, why Hebrew culture, because there are some insights and actual core principles and what God used to create um, the world that we live in. And so back to the word generation, like I said, in English, we think, oh, well, that's just one physical generation, the next, the next level, that's the next child or the next, um, you know, multiple children, you know, or nephews and nieces, they're all on the same level of generation. But the Hebrew word for generation actually means um, it's a measure of continuity where something other than physical DNA is passed down. So it's, it's spiritual. It's not biological. And so in order for it to count as a generation, the grandparent or parent needs to have passed a skill set, needs to have passed a value, needs to have passed something other than physical DNA down to that child. So it's just fascinating. So obviously generations happen in families. They happen in businesses. In my story of, you know, Vince coming alongside of me, to pass down his experience, pass down his knowledge that was creating, you know, a generation, if you will, generational continuity from one manager down to a senior manager, down to a new manager so that the business can succeed and that the business can actually become stronger through the years instead of go the opposite. And so what's, what's fascinating or what the insight that comes in this is in the Hebrew language, if you reverse a word or spell it backwards, generally it's the opposite or the negation of the word. So the word door, which is for generation D-O-R, is spelled with the letters Dalet, Vav, and Resh. And so I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so bear with me on this, but where I've learned this from and in my pursuit of learning about the Hebrew language and Hebrew culture, um, I follow Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and he's an He's a Jewish Orthodox rabbi, and what that means is that he just he follows all the rules of the Jewish religion and the culture, and he's obviously studied on the Hebrew language, but he just doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. 
So the Hebrew word for generation is the word dor, spelled D-O-R, or in the Hebrew language, it's dalet bav resh. And so I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so bear with me on this. But in this word, the middle letter vav acts as a vowel and is actually considered secondary to the consonants, the dalet and resh. And um, what that means is that when you spell the word backwards, which if in general, if you spell the word backwards in the Hebrew language, it usually has the opposite meaning or the negation of the meaning. So when you when you spell it backwards and just look at the primary, the consonants, it's the resh and dalet, which means to decline. So when you think about the word door is generation and it's spelled backwards, the resh and dalet means to decline. So there's this insight that the opposite of having generational continuity is to decline or to digress. And so we see just in the Hebrew word for door that unless we're passing along something other than DNA, other than that, other than, yeah, if we're passing along something other than DNA, then we're actually building a legacy. But if we just think, if we have the concept that generation is just passing down something physical, physical DNA, then we'll actually start to decline. Which, if you look at our nation, our country now, you can see that. And to like bolster it out a little bit, in the Hebrew culture, it's actually the man's responsibility to provide this, to pass it down. It's up to the men in the community. So when you look at our society as there's an equalization of genders and just you can see the enemy start to go after these concepts, after these principles in which God has set it up in order for us to succeed. The enemy's trying to distort those and to break it down and cause us not to succeed because we know that in John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so what's really fascinating about this is one of my favorite authors, Andy Andrews, talks about the butterfly effect that I think demonstrates this beautifully, which this example isn't necessarily a family example. Again, there is some family relation, but thinking about how you leave an impact generationally, how you change, how you can change the world by just passing down values, passing down beliefs, passing down ideas, passing down concepts, creating conviction in the lives of the children that you have or the person that you're mentoring, how you can change the world. So it starts with the man named Norman Borlaug. If you don't know who Norman Borlaug is, he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1970 for hybridizing corn and wheat for arid climates. And with this breakthrough, it's calculated that over the years, his efforts have helped save the lives of over two billion people across the world from famine. So that's two billion with a B. And so you think, oh man, Norman Borlaug helped save the lives of two billion people. That's awesome. Well, was it Norman Borlaug? Because the way he got put in that position is from Henry Wallace, who was vice president under Franklin Roosevelt in the 1940s. And Vice President Wallace, before becoming vice president, was U.S. Department of Ag- he led U.S. Department of Agriculture, and he set up a station in Mexico 
where the sole purpose of that station was to hybridize corn and wheat. And guess who he hired to lead the program? You bet. Norman Borlaug. So shouldn't, shouldn't Henry Wallace get some credit for saving 2 billion people? Because he was the one that hired Norman Borlaug and was positioned to have that success to get that breakthrough to save 2 billion people. Well, what about the person who influenced Henry Wallace? When you, when you look back, you see that George Washington Carver, who was a 19-year-old student at Iowa State University, would go out on Saturday afternoons, and he had a professor who let his son go out with him. And the professor's son, you guessed it, was Henry Wallace. And so as, as a six-year-old boy, Henry Wallace would go on these botanical missions with George Washington Carver. And we know all the things that George Washington Carver had um, has done. And so the six-year-old boy, Henry Wallace, would go on these expeditions and George Washington Carver inadvertently was creating a vision for him about how plants could help serve people. So shouldn't George Washington Carver actually get some credit for saving two billion people? Because he influenced Henry Wallace to love plants who had a career, obviously led U.S. Department of Agriculture and then became vice president and decided to set up a place in Mexico to go after this pursuit of hybridizing corn and wheat so that they could create it in arid climates. He hired Norman Borlaug and Norman Borlaug had the breakthrough and has saved 2 billion people. Well, what about George Washington Carver? What's his story? Well, back in um, when there were slaves going on, George Washington Carver was the son of a um, of a lady named Mary Washington, and they lived with Moses and Susan Carver, who were farmers in the state of Missouri. Now, Missouri was a slave state, and there were groups of bandits who roamed the Missouri and Kansas countryside to um, cause trouble, basically. But they were called um, Quantrill's Raiders. And Quantrill's Raiders came through the Carver farm and burned the barn. They killed people and drug off, you guessed it, Mary Washington. But as she was drug off, she refused to let go of her infant baby named George. So Mary Washington and Susan Carver were very close, great friends. And so Moses did everything he could first to find Mary Washington because they were, she was very dear to him and Susan. And he found out that she had been drug off by Quantrill's Raiders and they were going to meet him. So he took his only black horse, rode to the state line in Kansas and traded his only horse for the infant baby, George. So he, Quantrill's Raiders threw this burlap bag at Moses Carver, and what he pulled out was this cold, naked, and almost dead baby boy. And that night, Moses Carver vowed to raise young George as his own, and he gave him the name George Washington Carver. So does Moses Carver, who gave his horse, traded his only horse, to save the life of George Washington Carver? Does he get credit for 2 billion people? So as you can see, these generations 
they're passing something down. They're passing along values. They're investing time. They're having conversations in the next generation, which then leaves this ripple effect. Or as you know, if the butterfly effect where everything you do matters, where there's this influence on influence on influence on influence that made this huge impact in the world. And so that's the concept of generation. That's the concept of legacy is passing down values, passing down skill sets, passing down beliefs. And you see that in the Hebrew word for generation. So think about how important that is. Think about how our society, the, the, the way we have it set up is everything, you know, sending off your kids to college. It's like the professors and the culture there is almost set up to break their beliefs if you're raising them up in a you know believing Christian home. And so we have to be intentional about what we're passing down. We have to be intentional about the conviction that we're creating in our families, in our businesses to make that impact from, from one generation to the next and actually let it be a generation in the sense that we passed something down to them. We have to pass down that, like I said, skills, wisdom, and life principles that they can use to create success. Because if we don't, then the opposite of a generation is true, which as we see in the Hebrew language is to decline. So that's great. We can talk about this. Um, but here are three simple ways that I think that you can start to create that generational continuity in your family or in your business, as far as how do you create a culture that is going to actually move forward, build a foundation for the next group to actually build upon and create something successful versus if you're not doing that, it's actually going to start declining and will eventually break or die. So first thing I would say is discuss values. So what are the values of your family? What, what are the values of your business? What are you known for? What is your what is your brand? We talk a lot with our kids, our young kids, about having a family brand and the way that they represent themselves is a representation of our family brand. And it gives them an identity to hold on to. When we talk about Hermans do this, Hermans don't do this, um, that gives them something to latch on to. It gives them something to have an identity with. And it gives them vision for the future of here's who we're calling to be. Um, discuss ideas is number two. So society tries to do the thinking for us and the art of thinking critically is getting lost. So taking ownership of an idea brings conviction when you're discussing a topic and it's like, well, what do you think about that? How would you, how would you go about solving that? When you see the light bulb turn on for someone, they have an idea that creates ownership. It creates conviction. It creates creativity and problem solving. All of these are things that will help create wisdom and skill sets into the next generation of employees, the next generation of your family, so they can actually build upon what you've currently built. And when you think about that, this actually impacts their, it increases their earning potential. Because what we know is that those who solve the biggest problems are the ones who get the biggest paychecks. And so when you lose the art of thinking critically, when society thinks for us, then it limits our earning potential and it limits, limits the way we can serve God's children. So discussing ideas is an amazing way 
to create that generational continuity and to create legacy so that the next generation is actually building on the foundation you're building or that you've built. And the third way is discuss dreams, share and uncover the dreams of your family. What, what do you want to accomplish in your lifetime? What do you want to pass down to them? Um, this will, this will absolutely destroy the idea of conformity because it will encourage each person to succeed in their God-given assignment, to cast the vision for your children that God has prepared good works for you. He says this in his word, and that he's going to equip you with everything you need to do to accomplish those works. So your most important thing in life is to discover your mission and then go fulfill it. That is, that is a completely different message than saying, um, well, what do you want to major in in college? We'll make sure it makes sense because here's the job demand. That's completely backwards. And yet our society is saying that this is the way to do it. And this is the, the mindset that people fall into that in order to create exceptional results, you have to learn to think differently. You can't accept what society says as, <clears throat> as true because it is because that's just what the average, what people are doing, but you have to seek and find the truth and the truth is in God's word. And what we're seeing here in generational continuity is passing down something other than DNA. We have to pass down values. We have to pass down ideas. We have to pass down dreams and skill sets. So once again, those three simple ways you can create and practice the idea of generational continuity is to discuss values with, once again, you can do this in your business. You can do this with your family. Um, discuss ideas, discuss dreams, get them thinking. Get them to see that God has a special plan for their life and that fulfilling the assignment is the true success and not falling into conformity of what society wants them to do. So hopefully you found this information valuable. If you did, please leave a review, rate the podcast, subscribe. If you didn't find it valuable, I'd also love to hear your feedback as well so we can continually make this better. Um, remember, everything you do matters. Think about Moses Carver going after saving George Washington Carver, who then turned out to be this brilliant scientist who influenced Henry Wallace, who Henry Wallace had a passion for agriculture, who appointed Norman Borlaug to hybridize corn and wheat that saved over 2 billion people. Everything you do matters. God has given you an assignment to rule and to serve his children. So go and rule that assignment that God has for you and be blessed. We'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's Tom again, and I wanted to ask you a quick question. On a scale from one to 10, how confident are you that you know God's purpose for your life? I mean, there can be a lot of confusion around this topic. So I went ahead and created a life purpose roadmap to help you gain clarity on your purpose. You can download your free PDF, Life Purpose Roadmap, at attractivelydifferent.com backslash purpose. It'll walk you through the seven simple steps to prospering in your purpose. Also, for the next 40 days, I'll be sending you a daily email guide that will help you unlock the full power of the roadmap. These emails are designed to make it that much easier for you to implement the roadmap and succeed in your God-given assignment. It's free. Just go download the Life Purpose Roadmap PDF at attractivelydifferent.com backslash purpose.